Get ready to jumpstart your scientific career with practical advice on being a successful and contented scientist. Each episode of the Happy Scientist podcast delivers hands-on, actionable steps you can take to ensure you stay happy, focused, and satisfied in the lab. Available on all popular podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button and start your journey towards a more fulfilling scientific career. This is the Happy Scientist Podcast. Each episode is designed to make you more focused, more productive, and more satisfied in the lab. You can find us online at bitesizebio.com slash happy scientist. Your hosts are Kenneth Vogt, founder of the executive coaching firm Vera Claritas, and Dr. Nick Oswald, PhD, bioscientist, and founder of Bitesize Bio. Hello and welcome to the Happy Scientist podcast from Bite Size Bio. If you want to become a happier, healthier and more productive scientist, you're in the right place. I'm Nick Oswald, the founder of BiteSizeBio.com and with me is the driving force of this podcast, Mr. Kenneth Vogt. I've worked with Ken for over seven years now with him as my business mentor and colleague and I knew that his expertise could help a lot of researchers. So in these, re in these sessions, we will hear mostly from Ken on principles that will help shape you for a happier and more successful career. And along the way, I'll pitch in with points from my personal experience as a scientist and from working with Ken. Today, we will be discussing the question, is unconditionality achievable? Okay, Ken, what does that even mean? <laughs> now, I know from our uh, earlier discussions and giving some thought myself, this is our 25th episode, and y'all may be thinking like Nick that, wow, Ken has finally gone around the bend. What does this have to do with the happy scientist? <laughs> I promise you I'm going to bring it around to that very thing, how this impacts you as a scientist. And I, I will grant you that this may be a little more about the happy part than the scientist part, but it is, it is definitely scientific and, and it matters. Now, I know you've probably heard the word unconditionality before, or things being unconditional. And what most people associate that with is unconditional love. That's a, uh, that's a phrase we've all heard, and it's a concept we probably all have some, some inkling about. And, and you're thinking, okay, love, unconditional love, uh, I've got no particular use for that in the lab. I'm not anti-love, I'm not anti-unconditional love, but I, I don't think that's going to help me with my job. Well, give me a chance, <laughs> and I will, I will lay out for you how this works. So before we talk about conditionality, though, I want to talk about this idea of beliefs. You know, we in the scientific world, that that's that's almost an insult, because you've I'm sure you've all heard people say things like, "Oh, you believe in science." It's like, no, I don't believe in science. Sci that science is is what you do when you're trying not to believe in something. You're just looking at the facts. But the, but the truth is, we even have beliefs about facts, about which facts are most important to us, which facts are most relevant. And just to give a, a, a brief definition for belief then, it's trust, faith, or confidence in someone or something. Now, in a lab, having confidence in your, in, in your data, in your procedure, 
in your colleagues, obviously that's that's really, really important. Faith seems to take it out a, a notch. Trust, again, you know, trusting those things is good too. So the point is, is that yes, you actually can believe in things that have to do with the facts that are involved in what you do. Now, of course, there's a whole lot of other areas in life where people have beliefs. You know, they have beliefs, you know, typically we think of religion, politics, relationships, social standards, but you also have beliefs about facts. And here's the thing about these beliefs. Most of these beliefs are conditional on something. There's some some kind of modifiers for these things that that you always have in place. And what would happen if you didn't have to have conditions? What, what if there was something you could have absolute confidence in? What if in the lab you could have absolute confidence in your results, absolute confidence in your data, absolute confidence in your protocols, absolute confidence in the people you work with or work for, absolute confidence in the people who you are benefiting by the work you're doing. You know, that, that would really change your experience of it. Doubt creates a lot of anxiety for people. So this idea of, of taking charge of conditions is actually quite valuable to make you a happy scientist. So think of conditions this way. Conditions are limiters. Conditions are adjectives. You know, when you say car, you have a picture in your mind. When I say red car to you though, now I've modified that that car. I've I've made it I've limited something about that car. It has to be red. Well, it's the same thing that we do with beliefs. The conditions that we put on our beliefs will modify it and they'll restrict it. And when we're talking about believing in certain facts, now you're restricting those facts. In other words, you might restrict, when can I, when can I appropriately use this fact? When can I actually say this? And in science, and Nick, I think you'll agree with me here, that this has been a big deal. There are some facts that it's almost impossible to even speak about because of all the conditions that people put on them. And there are unpopular facts that it's harder to bring scientific rigor to because of their unpopularity. So I'll give you a little chance to jump in there, Nick, on, on that kind of thing. Have you noticed that impact on some facts are hard to actually make proper use of, even though you've done good work? Hmm. That's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting one. I'm trying to think. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of a couple of examples, you know, like, well, just protocol for how should we deal with COVID right now? And, you know, there was just uh, the, the Greater Barrington report that came out where some very esteemed scientists said, we have got to focus on herd immunity. And then another group came out of equally esteemed scientists that said, we have n- got to not use herd immunity. And I, and I heard an, a really fascinating interview the other day with, with a scientist representing each of those positions. And considering there have just been presidential debates in the United States, I would have thought, oh boy, here comes the debate. But it wasn't a debate because these men were both serious scientists. And so they both listened to each other. 
And they both brought up, it's like, well, here's, here's a weakness that I'm concerned with about your hypothesis. And then the other person would say, yes, I see that weakness too. And here's the, here's the remedy for that, I believe. And it was a great discussion. It was a 15-minute discussion, which, you know, uh, which is as much as the public could take. I'm sure they've had hours and hours of discussions over these things. But what's going on with all that is that because there are conditions on the facts you can speak, just for some folks, if you say herd immunity, oh, that's it. They stop listening. They're done. Some folks, you say vaccines, oh, they're done. <laughs> you know? And we have to be able to speak. We have to be able to talk well, about it, things. It is interesting that particular uh, scenario in that, you know, science is uh, all about being objective and, uh, you, know, un, you know, being uh, rational mm-hmm. uh, about the facts that are in front of you. But here are two sets of um, equally eminent scientists who look at the same facts and come up with a completely different um, different conclusion on the way forward. And mm-hmm. so that, that must, by definition, mean there's some belief in there, or at least some perspective. Well, yes, there, there is. And, it, you know, it's... So the, the, the question will is still rings out there. Is it possible to get rid of this conditionality? So one of the things that I noticed in that conversation that I thought was quite interesting is they each said... Our, our soundbite proposal has, has some rules to it. You can't just say, we've got to go for herd immunity. It's like, well, if we're going to go for herd immunity, we have to do this and this and this and this, or it won't work. And if we're going to not go for herd immunity and we're going to put all our hopes in vaccines, well, then we have to do this and this and this and this, you know, so they... There were conditions for for both of their protocols. So I'm not talking about removing the conditions there, but if we could remove the conditions about having the conversation, if we didn't demonize any particular point of fact, if the fact didn't have to have a condition, now we can actually have a conversation. And we've seen the difference between people talking about scientific things, but with political agendas, and people who are just having a scientific conversation. You know, that, that, that's just one that just rings out in the world. I mean, there are certainly others that have, have been examples, uh, but this one's so appropriate for the, for the scientists we're talking to, and, and it's so current. It, it, so we can look at this and say, okay, where, where is it appropriate to have conditions, but where would things be so much better if we got rid of these conditions? If we could make it unconditional, if I could just say a true fact and not have anybody fight me about it because of what they translate it to me. And you know, that's, that's where, this, where these conditions come from. They come from when we start assigning meaning. If you just see a fact as a fact, you know, two plus two equals four, okay. That's, that's just a fact. There's really nothing to argue about there until somebody starts to say, yeah, but what really is a two? You know, <laughs> and then off we go to the races. What does equal really mean? You know, that's where we get caught in the weeds. So we have the opportunity there to set some things as axioms and accept some things as theorems that 
that you know we're gonna agree that we can trust this that we're all gonna be on board with that and and that way you have the opportunity of simplifying things conversations get so much clearer protocols become so much easier to establish because we're not guessing about certain things so the question that that I have for you scientists is how many things in your world could you look at and say you know what we can we can say this is certain this is the thing we will count on now i think you already do that with many things but it's possible you could do it with more um, and it's also possible you need to reassess some things maybe you know that's that's one of the beauties of science when you realize that something isn't what you thought it was you can change your position that's hard for us regular humans <laughs> Social humans have a real hard time with that. We don't like to have to change our positions. But you have it built in as a scientist that you can do that. And it's and it's safe for you to do that. If I change my position on something as just a regular Joe, I'm a flip-flopper. But if you realize, hey, I've got new data, and it tells us the first conclusion we drew is not correct, so we're going to draw a new conclusion. You know, now you're freeing yourself of some conditions that appropriately should should be removed. Is this all making sense, Nick? I have to admit, I'm finding it difficult to grapple with this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so so let me ask you, where where are the difficulties for you? I, I'm finding it difficult to see where you think the uh, where you see scientists are being conditional and where the, where they should um, lose that conditionality for better. Results well, in the, in the example I brought up, uh, the the folks that became signatories to the, the Greater Barrington Report, they're taking a risk. They they may be impacting their careers by taking that position, and you know I, I will grant you that hopefully that's not it's not coming to that for many things. But even if there's lesser costs, it, it, socially speaking, and I mean socially among your group of fellow scientists or the the your funders for your grants or you know if if you can be true to the to the facts and you can and and you can stand aside from those conditions you'll be freer to do better research you're gonna if you feel like well i just i just can't investigate in this direction because it's going to make people mad well that's going to restrict what you can do it's going to restrict what how you can succeed and and we really need pe- people in science to succeed we need them we need them to not be shackled in, you know inadvertently or or inappropriately does that cl- clarify anything yeah i'm just trying to figure out where the problem you know whether this is a big problem or not i'm not sure um so th- that needs to be solved so you're talking about people um l- limiting or scientists specifically limiting what they're prepared to um, consider as a possible outcome based on, for example, uh, whether a particular result would be acceptable socially or whether a particular opinion would be acceptable socially or uh, beneficial for careers or or something like that. Is that what you mean? That is the the worst case scenario stuff and that stuff 
Yeah, that stuff exists. But there's actually even more farther down the chain. So, uh, for instance, if you have something that would be socially unacceptable to the masses, it might not necessarily be socially unacceptable in scientific circles. But, and there are other things that for might be socially unacceptable among your peers, whereas the rest of us wouldn't even notice. But, but that's still enough to restrict you. You're still talking about the, the jump from when you get a result to what that means or, or the conclusion that you draw from that and, and that being influenced by conditions that you hold for yourself. Right. So it could that conditions you hold may influence what you, what you see in results, but it may influence you even getting results because there's some places you won't even go because of those conditions. And so the, the unconditionality in that circumstance would be uh, or, or not even just in that circumstance, that the, the unconditional conditionality that would be required, but it is what's inherently required in science anyway, whether we can perform it perfectly or not, is mm-hmm. to unconditionally explore what what your you know the question that's in front of you, unconditionally accept the result as long as you think that you know whatever it is, even if it's not what you expected, as long as you can show controls and stuff that that show you that the measurement is not incorrect or whatever. Right. Um, and and not be pathed by your own beliefs. Is that? Exactly. And now I realize this is a continuum with unconditionality being the goal of absolute perfection. You know, that, but the, it, it isn't just a, a, a binary thing that either you're conditional or you're unconditional. The, the degree to which you are conditional can have a great impact. So if you can remove as many conditions as is possible from your process and from your conclusions, you're going to be a better scientist. And if you're a better scientist, you're going to be a happier scientist. Now I realize for some... It is a tall order because... And I'm not saying that it can't be done because people do it. And and probably uh, everyone does it to um, varying degrees, but this to varying degrees but what you're really fighting against as a scientist is is your own human nature which is to be biased mm-hmm. and um and, and to uh, seek and approval you, and to seek approval and to yeah yeah and to be part of the group and so on um and but what you have to do as a scientist is to kind of give all of that up to objectivity right and uh, what I'm presenting to you right now is that I'm not saying, okay, you've been doing it all wrong your whole career, your whole life, and you just need to make this radical change. Like, no, what I'm, what I'm doing here today is opening up, you up to an idea that you may be placing conditions on things you haven't even noticed you've done. And it's coming at a cost to you that you don't even know you're paying. So this is going to give you the opportunity to just examine some things, just to just to have that in your head, like, have I placed any conditions on this? Or, or <laughs> another question is, what conditions have I placed on this? You know, I, I didn't think I had any, but let me let me ponder that. And you're going to start to find some of those things. Now, you may wonder, like, why would I do that? Why would I, I understand what the scientific method is supposed to be about? I, why would I put all these conditions on there? And here's why. Reason requires conditions. 
We love conditions. And as scientists, you know, you definitely want to be men and women of reason. That, that's, that's a, you know, considered a, a high order of thinking in the world. But here's the problem. Think about anytime you have a reason to do something, what's in charge? Well, the reason is in charge. When somebody asks you, why did you do X? And your answer is, I did X because Y. Now, did you actually make a choice here? It's like, no. You, your reason decided. The, re, the, the reasons you have are in charge. And those reasons are the conditions you've put on it. So I think for some folks to hear that they haven't been in charge of their decision-making can be really shocking and, and, and upsetting and something they will not stand for. So just to have this notion and to consider, have I been letting the reasons path me? And, and we've discussed this before um, in episode 15, we did the, the, the difference between choosing and deciding. And so well, in the show notes, we'll have a link to that. So you can go check it out again if that's one you haven't heard or it's not fresh in your mind. But the point is, is that <laughs> reasons are your conditions. And conditions are your reasons. And they are in charge. The more conditions you have, the less charge you have. Now, I realize there are situations where there are conditions. They exist and you can't do anything about them. You know, you get a grant and it has restrictions in it. It says you have to do this and you can't do that. And well, that's how it is, you know. So I'm not talking about those kind of conditions that you can't control. I'm talking about the conditions that you are actually choosing for yourself and that you are, in some cases, abdicating to. You're, you're, you're using them as the excuse. Well, I, I had to do this or I couldn't do that because... Because reason why, you know, and now reason why is everything. And reason why has taken your power away from you. Like what you're hearing? Ready to supercharge your scientific career? Discover practical advice on what it takes to be a successful scientist without sacrificing happiness. Learn the importance of meeting your human needs, identifying and unlocking your charisma factors, discovering your core mindsets, and much more. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack and get started on your journey to becoming a happier scientist today. Subscribe now and check the show notes to download. So, here you are, having worked very, very hard to become a reasonable human being. I mean, it's took years and years of schooling and, and practice and testing and I mean you really worked at this and it was an improvement for you you became a better person you were no longer just a child that was moved by emotional reaction or selfish interest now you're letting reason take charge and that sounds great and now here I am suggesting that maybe reason has had too much charge and so you might be thinking well now what <laughs> what happens after reason well, for many folks, their fear is that what will happen is, well, I go back to being that emotional, childish individual, and, and I don't allow reason to, to display its full power. Well, that's not the case. What happens 
after reason is that things don't require conditions. And you might be thinking, well, how does that happen in the world? Well, I'm gonna give you a couple examples from hard scientific examples of things that aren't based on condition. So think about this. We, we tend to see things as there's this, and then there's its opposite. And we have plenty of those things in, in our experience, in the world, in our observation. But there are some things where there is no opposite. It just is or it is not. Now, in the scientific world, two things that come to mind that are very straightforward are heat and light. And we say, oh, wait a minute, Ken, that's not right. The opposite of heat is cold. The opposite of light is dark. There is an opposite. No, there's not. You measure heat. We don't measure cold. Cold is merely an absence of heat. You measure light. We don't measure dark. It's just merely an absence of light. So there's, there's no conditionality there at all. It's just, you're, you're just on that, you're on that scale, whether it's Kelvin or Celsius or Fahrenheit. Or, <laughs> temperature is somewhere there. There isn't a, there isn't an a anti-temperature. There, you know, when you, when you say something is 100 degrees Fahrenheit, there isn't something that is opposite that. It's just, it just is. It doesn't need any condition. It's just what it is. So, as you ponder that, you may realize, you know, there's a lot of things that I've been assuming that there's an opposite to, when it really isn't an opposite. It's just, it's either it's there or it's not there. And the conditions, conditions get created out of that misunderstanding. So imagine the misunderstandings you would have if you, if you created the condition of darkness, that darkness has to mean something in your experimentation, when it's actually the level of light that means something. Same thing with temperature. What if you made coldness mean something when it's actually the level of temperature that matters. There's plenty of stuff like that. And the fact is, even, even scientists may be thinking of darkness and cold as a thing. <laughs> I realize it's convenient to think of it that way. But what, what opens up for you when, you when you realize it's not a thing? How do you see the world? How do you see the scientific world when you more clearly see it without that condition. So I, I will put that, uh, uh, put that to you, Nick, uh, rhetorically, but I, I will ask what you think of that as a concept. I, th- I, I see that your, your point about um, not requiring there to be cold in order to be able to study heat, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I realize really, this is... really struggling with this. Yeah, that, well, okay. That, and, you know, you and I, we had, we had a brief conversation beforehand saying, wow, this, is, this topic's really, really different than some of the things we've talked about before. But I'm, I want to challenge everybody. I'm not going to do this to you every time we have this episode, you know. But I really want you to, to, to think about this. What would happen if you, if you looked at things differently? Isn't that where discovery really gets interesting? Isn't that how how people 
how scientists have stumbled across things, you know, for as long as there's been science. So are you saying that what you think you know is what gets in the way of discovery? Exactly. That's one way to look at this. Yeah. So, okay. And there are a whole so host of example, things. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say there are a whole host of things. <laughs> go ahead, Nick. <laughs> for example, if, you're, if you were studying um, molecular biology and you discovered something that, that went against the theory of evolution, for example, Mm-hmm. Would you just kind of think, you know, okay, I made a mistake, obviously, and just leave it and go in a different direction? Or would you explore that? Is it, this is, you know, some, some, something as fundamental as that. You, you still have to suspend belief to see where it takes you. Is that, is that what you... Exactly. Because that is a fundamental condition you're placing on what you see. Okay. And there are examples of where, where that has happened, um, not to that extent. But, um, you know, where what was the, the accepted wisdom was um, was challenged, was, was overturned um, by by discovery that would can only be made. Like, for example, it used to be thought that the 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 DNA in between genes was just junk DNA didn't mean anything. And then yeah. we discovered that it codes for all this stuff that there's a whole layer of, of different regulation and so on. But that that discovery could only be made if people had if if by if the people who were doing the research were open minded enough to consider that that might be a possibility. Sure. Well, and even the impact of of genes have been. You know, the original thought was that well, if you have these genes, that's what's going to happen. And of course, we've seen that's just not true. It's a, it creates a possibility. There's a and. It might improve a probability, but it doesn't guarantee an outcome one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. And so if you get passed into think, yeah, okay, so you are advocating that we become aware of the beliefs that limit what we are prepared to see. Exactly. Our work and what we're prepared to consider and explore. Um, and that by the, the more that we suspend those, then the the more open we are to, to greater discovery. Not necessarily. Exactly. You're opening new lines of inquiry. Yeah. And so you op- the more you open, you are to greater um, discovery if it's available. Yeah. Okay. Right. And now here's another thing to consider about this. This might sound like, well, it'd be a nice thing to do, but it's not necessary. Except there are a whole host of things that cannot be considered or examined in conditional terms because there is no there is no conditionality on some things that so you're going to have to consider them without conditions and at first blush again somebody who's just hard hard um hard committed to reason is going to go wow that doesn't sound right that i don't think that's possible it's like well you as a reasonable person know that you don't know everything you as a reasonable person know that you only have a perspective. So you have to consider the possibility that there is something beyond reason. And it's not anti-reason. Again, it's not about some, some setting up some opposite condition. It's something that builds on reason. So you don't suspend reason. You use it as a platform from which you can build. And the fact is, Many, many of you are very creative, and you're going to hear all this, and this is going to sound really true to you. You're going to realize, yep, a lot of my creativity 
came from when I built on reason. Not when I said, ah, I don't care what's reasonable, I don't care what's obvious. No, when you went, all right, assuming that I don't know everything, but taking into consideration what I do know, what possibilities are available? So I'm not asking you to go crazy here. I'm not asking you to forget that there's gravity and forget that there's there's heat and light, you know? <laughs> yes, that stuff's there. But give yourself a chance to see a little bit more, to realize there's stuff out there that you haven't yet they haven't yet discovered. Maybe not and maybe not just you, maybe mankind hasn't yet discovered. But it could be you that does. Somebody does. Every time something new comes along, somebody found it. And of course then there's the the interesting thing how once one person finds it, it seems like many people find it, often practically simultaneously. So wouldn't you want to be part of that process? Think about the uh, about the satisfaction that would come from that. I mean, that's that was the dream when when you were a kid and you finally you still thought, ah, science, this is really cool. I really like this. I want to, you know, I want to be a great scientist. And that's what you had pictured in your mind that you were going to be this this Magellan-like explorer, and you were going to discover new worlds and and you were going to change things in the world and for the better and. This, this is the promise of science. And when we talk about being a happy scientist, that word happy seems so simple. But I mean, it's really packed with meaning. It's, it's talking about that, that true satisfaction, that, that, that pride that you have. And I mean positive pride, that you really feel like I did something good and I, and I made a difference and I helped. And... And you realize you're standing on the shoulders of giants who also did that. And you, you can see that there's a chain here. And that, that's another thing about science that is truly amazing, is that there, there's so much that was learned before and so much effort has been put forward to pass it on to you so that you have a really firm foundation to stand on. You're not starting over. You know, everybody is not reinventing the wheel here all the time. So you can, you can go with certain things that are there as a solid platform. The more you can remove the conditions from that platform, the more flexibility, the more imagination you can have, the, the more possibilities then you can create. I think it's quite interesting to use the word imagination there because that's really what you're allowing in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, by removing the, removing the conditions, if you think of all you know technologies and uh steps forward that have been made that previously seemed impossible you know um you know even some of the stuff we take for granted uh at the moment you know internet and so on they they didn't seem impossible to everyone but they seemed important the 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 people who suspended belief enough to consider the fact that although we don't know how to do it now then it might be doable if we explore enough then those are the ones who who um, wouldn't be surprised by this, but right. then they're the only ones who can actually make the discovery if they if they you know remain unconditional enough to allow the possibility to develop. So let me point out a couple of things that have happened in my lifetime, and you know as as we all know, I'm not a biologist, but these are two things that even a non-biologist has heard about, and I heard about them before they happened when they said, we may be able to do this, 
and it sounded like science fiction in in the most fictional way possible. The first one, we're going to map the human genome. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's done. And it's not and and a bunch of other genomes have been mapped. And then somebody came up with CRISPR, gene editing that is just absolutely simple, stupid, perfect. Again, science fiction on on the the most fantastical level. How did anybody ever even come up with that? Because they took away the conditions of saying, oh, that's crazy. That's impossible. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't, you know, whether it's a practical problem, we could never get as much funding as we would need. It would take, it would take hundreds of years to do this or, or, you know, or, or that's something, oh, I wish that could be invented, but something that, that could never be invented. When, so, so I, I put this out here that I'm not saying this is the truth, but a sta- I want to make this statement. The most valuable discoveries are uncovered in in the realm without conditions. Now, I am all for everybody arguing over that all they want. <laughs> but I tell you what, it's it's a plausible position that if we will if we will set aside conditions, the opportunity for imagination and discovery is limitless. So, that was why I want you to consider the possibility that unconditionality can be achieved. It's already being achieved in certain ways and certain facets. We all, you individually achieve this occasionally and people you know do. So, you know, why not you and why not more of you? Why not? Why not you more? (laughs) All of it. So what do you think, Nick? Interesting. So, so removing the condition, the conditionality, allows creativity. And, and although science is irrational, um, you know, driven by reason, mm-hmm. it also has to have, you know, for or the truly great parts of science, require um, creativity to see what's not known, you know, to open up possibilities to move into what's not known, what, what's not known yet. Right. And I, and I want to challenge people to think about that phrase that we've all heard that you just said, that science is driven by, by rationality. Yes, driven by, but not controlled by. We, you step outside of those bounds sometimes. You use it as, as a platform. And, you know, and again, that's a concept I really would like to install with everybody, that reason is a platform. Now build on it. Interesting. All right. Well, that was certainly... A bit mind-bending for me, Ken, <laughs> but enjoyable. I think I got there in the end with what you were talking about, and I think it's, a, it's definitely a distinction. That is, is, it's not only useful to know from the point of, um, of you know, allowing creativity in, but it's also, for me anyway, it was just struck me is that it's important for realizing where the, where the where reason ends and where creativity begins in science. So that's really important because when you gather results, you get to a position where, where you can uh, make a reasonable argument, a reasoned argument for uh, something being a fact. Uh, you can put that forward as a perspective. And then you would do, you know, they, that would be your results section in your paper. And then you get to the discussion section. And there, that's where it becomes creative where you make, you, you lay out the possibility for what that means and what could happen next. 
you move between reason and creativity, but it's, it's really important to understand. I see a lot of scientists say, um, state their creative position, their, their discussion, as a reasoned, uh, you know, as a concrete reasoned um, fact, and that's not the case. And um, so I think it's really important from, from both sides to realise when, um, when reason is important as a scientist and when uh, creativity is important and, and that you are continually switching between the two. Right, and not be afraid to say, hey, I'm not saying this is reasonable. I'm just, I'm just pointing it out that here's a possibility that we should explore further. Well, in fact, when you are point, pointing out that something is not a reasoned, uh, a, a reason-based fact or reason-based evidenced, um, uh, evidenced fact, but you're you're then going into conjecture, then you must point that out because, especially when you're saying it to the public or in a in a lay situation, people take your word as a scientist. You know that you know that, but you don't. Um, you that's your your expert kind of uh, prediction of what will happen next, but it's still just a prediction or, you know, or what the next step is or, or, you know, what this thing actually means. Yeah, that's an excellent point, especially in the current political environment where experts are being distrusted and, and unfairly so in so many cases. So, but, you know, don't fall on, don't fall on your own sword there. You know, don't, don't state things as fact to try and be more assertive when you know that's not what you should be doing right now. I think that, yeah, that this is what erodes trust in science, actually, is that you have scientific fact or, you know, the best scientific knowledge, you know, which is always evolving. And to state what's in there is, you, you know, that's what, where a scientist stands in their expertise. Um, but then to move, we're, we're, there are some scientists who are overstepping and, and putting their opinions out as right. facts. And then that's where trust in the actual science you know, the actual reason-based science is, is eroded when people abuse that position too much. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a really I, interesting point. Yeah, we, as humanity, we need our experts and we need them to be trustworthy and, and we need to trust them. You know, so, I mean, it goes on both sides. So, but please do your part and, and I will continue to encourage the rest of the world to do their part. <laughs> okay, well, again, thank you very much, Ken, for... Uh, a really interesting, mind-blowing, uh, mind-blowing episode there. <laughs> okay. I just want to, uh, before we head off, I want to uh, remind everyone that if they want to hear more of, of Ken's Pearls of Wisdom, you can join us, uh, or you can find all of our episodes, rather, at bitesizebio.com forward slash the happy scientist. That's all one word. Uh, and there you can subscribe to us on all of the major podcast platforms, or any of them. And you can also join us on Facebook. Uh, there's a Facebook group for this podcast called uh, uh, The Happy Scientist Club, which is, the face is facebook.com forward slash The Happy Scientist Club, all one word. And there we talk about, you know, the, the, the content of these podcasts from different perspectives uh, so that you can, you know, help you to get to grips with it because some of them, as you saw today, can take a while to get to grips with and get your head around. But... I assure you, all of these topics are well worth spending some time on um, trying to assimilate them because from my own personal experience, I can say that it really helps. Yeah, and feel free to comment there on, on Facebook. I am happy to have a discussion 
with anybody there for for everyone else's benefit too that they, that they, that that we can all in, engage in. Yeah. Okay. And remember that in episodes one to nine of this podcast, uh, we talk about the foundational principles of human needs, core mindsets, and charisma factors. And we refer to this in, in many of these episodes. So those one, episodes one to nine are the foundational um, wisdom, if you like. Uh, so if you go back and listen to them at some point, probably more than once, ideally, then you'll you'll get a, you'll get a, a good understanding of what. Well, my script here says life change. These life changing concepts, and they literally are life changing. It's it's a very good they're very good tools to give you different perspectives on uh how you work and how the world works and how to get better out of both so again thank you very much ken for that and we'll call it a wrap there all right very good the happy scientist is brought to you by bite size bio your mentor in the lab Bite Size Bio features thousands of articles and webinars contributed by hundreds of PhD scientists and scientific companies who freely offer their hard-won wisdom and solutions to the Bite Size Bio community. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep learning practical tips on being a happy and successful scientist, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack today. And together, let's reignite that passion for science that first got you into the lab. Remember, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button now and check the show notes to download.